Hi, I'm Elise Kennedy. Welcome to Jordan's Startup Tech Series, where we host entrepreneurs, venture funds, and technology companies on trends across the industry. Today, I've got the pleasure of being joined by Michael Batgirl, the CEO of Startmate. Thanks for joining us today, Michael. Thanks so much for having me. Now, let's turn it over to you, as we always do. Tell us a little bit more about what is Startmate? So Startmate is the oldest and biggest startup accelerator in Australia. And it started all the way around 2011. So we've been around for 12 years. Wow, that's really early stage there. And I love that it's mates. So it's clear. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And tell us what's unique about this accelerator. Maybe if you give a bit more detail about the stages of the journey of some of those investments that you make. Yeah, definitely. Actually, the most unique thing about StartNet itself is... Two things. The first one is actually the way we raise our fund itself and the way the accelerator works, which means that every single mentor in the program itself is actually an investor in the funds themselves as well. So that's actually really important to us because it gives every single mentor actually skin in the game to be able to provide the best possible advice and help to our founders. So this is like one big differentiator, uh, which is actually quite unique in the entire world. The second kind of thing is that it's all about founders helping founders for us. It's so many of our alumni actually come back as mentors and investors and actually provide the um, kind of help and mentorship back to our founders. That is, again, super important because what we often see is actually like the best possible advice comes from the founders who are like two or three steps ahead of you. Rather than a thousand steps ahead of you, it's actually the ones who are like just ahead of you on the journey. Fantastic. And are you able to disclose how many funds there are or any of the valuations? Absolutely. So uh, we're actually quite unique in a sense as well, because we raise a new fund every six months because the skin of the game element is so important to us. Every single six months, we get about 500 applications from startups. We actually end up investing in 15 of those companies, which then go on to raise one to $4 million rounds off the back of it. But um, to your question as well, like what we actually invest in is $120,000 in every single one of those companies at a $1.5 million post money valuation. The only exception that we have is if the company has raised money in the past, we match the latest valuation. So, for example, if they have raised a family of friends around or from a VC before, we actually match the valuation before. The fund size itself for us is roughly between um, $2.5 to $4 million every six months. And we've got investments all the way from like $10,000 checks just to give our mentors who are really early stage as well a chance to participate all the way to kind of like half a million dollar, million dollar check sizes as well. Fantastic. I did actually host one of the early stage ones that you put into, um, Xylo Systems, which released the other week. So um, yes, I've heard about some of the work that you do in that space. Do you have any notable early stage investors? I know I read up on a few. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. So um, it's probably a couple of lenses here. On the one side, we have Michael Brooks and Scott Farquhar, for example, from Atlassian, the Atlassian co-founders investing all the way from 2011 every cohort. And we've got the Canva founders investing, et cetera. So like founders who actually have gone on to build literally like billion dollar companies and they do provide incredible kind of like support and mentorship to our founders. On the other side, kind of what we love as well is actually our StartMate alumni who actually do come back. And then after back of the series BC, actually want to be investing back into the fund. And maybe the final aspect and the uniqueness of StartNet actually is that we see ourselves as like the Switzerland of Australia. And what I mean by that is actually we end up working with all of the funds in Australia, which means that Blackbird, Squarepeg, Repsend, Airtree, et cetera, 
Um, either their funds or their partners actually end up investing into the Startbit fund because we genuinely see ourselves as like the place where everybody comes together to look at the most successful um, companies. Yeah, it's definitely interesting and different to some of the other startups which you've had on this uh, podcast series to date. And is there any angle or skew? Do you think more about the technology or is it um, also open to say mining and metals? Any kind of angles that you target into? Yeah, totally. We're actually completely industry agnostic in a way. So like um, from an industry perspective, we actually don't, don't mind. We always look for the best founders, found the connection to the problem. And what I mean by problem is actually really that customer connection itself. So we actually end up investing in software, hardware. The only kind of fixed rule that we have is always that it's early stage companies. We always invest $120,000, really, really early stage. And again, like we look for the customer obsession itself, but not necessarily with an industry angle. The recent um, trend that we've seen over the last two to three years, and that is actually a bit of a focus of ours, is that we do actually love investing in the climate um, space. So roughly 20 to 30% of our companies actually end up being in that space. Yeah. Is there any reason that you decided to do that? Is the way of the future or is a push from some of your investors? We're certainly seeing it within the listed space as well. Yeah, definitely. So like on the one side, it's kind of like probably just a personal preference and just like something that the whole team is passionate about. On the other side, from an investment standpoint, it actually does make a lot of sense as well. Because what we've seen is that even if you actually were to say that climate company is no more or less successful to succeed than any other companies out there, actually the really interesting benefit that a climate company has compared to any other startup out there is from a hiring perspective. So similar to um, what you were saying that lots of investors actually have the push and the interest to invest there, from a hiring perspective as well, those companies have such an easier time to hire incredible people. And that actually gives them a leg up as well. So even from an investment lens, that actually makes a lot of sense, apart from obviously the good for the world lens as well, which is obviously very, very important. Yeah, makes um, philanthropic, the triple bottle line concept. Um, let's turn to some of the investments. Can you talk to any of the notable investments that you have, what they do, any of the revenue models, things that we should be looking out for in the future? Yeah, totally. Yeah, so our investments, as I mentioned, go from software to hardware. Please let me know, like, if, if you want me to double down, like, um, double click on anyone in particular. But um, we've had um, investments, for example, Propeller is one of our large ones. Propeller does, um, does surveying for mines. So actually quite interesting in their business model perspective, the founders, they actually were not necessarily into mines themselves. They actually just were really big geeks into drones. And I love drones and all the things you could do. And then they actually started looking for markets they could serve. And they looked into golf clubs and construction sites and stuff. And they actually ended up landing on mines because it turns out that mines actually don't know where the dirt moves around. So they actually, that's kind of their business model. And it's actually quite heavily partnership based as well for them. Mm-hmm. So it's like one investment on the software and hardware side. Maybe another one which is quite interesting is um, Moss Micro, which um, which just last month raised $100 million. But they essentially are building a state-of-the-art kind of first-in-the-world um, Wi-Fi chip, low-power, high-range. And um, interestingly, they've got actually minimal revenue just yet, but it's literally world-changing technology built by engineers who literally built Wi-Fi back in the day. So like from a revenue perspective, not quite there yet. That will be a huge, huge technological progress. Yeah, and that's a bit of a disruptor in the space, I guess. I'm, I'm curious about that one a little bit more if I tap into that. So what, are they disrupting another type of technology? Yeah, so literally, like, if you think about your Wi-Fi at home, like, they could literally make it use less energy and increase the range itself. So whether it's on personal Wi-Fi, but then actually you could, in theory, because they do it on such a small scale, 
put a Wi-Fi chip into anything you actually use. So one example maybe being actually supermarkets and actually the, um, the kind of labels that you have on supermarket prices, et cetera, that mm-hmm. they could literally be like Wi-Fi powered and every, every single one of them could just have a little chip in there and just be updated real time. Fantastic. Heard it here first. And you want to give me <laughs> one more from my listeners? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So as I mentioned, maybe on the climate side, we had one incredible investment in a company called Great Wrap, which makes essentially compostable cling wrap. And they've just been exploding recently as well because it's such an incredible vision. We all know cling wrap, literally a waste um, itself and we can't do anything with it. So they do it basically out of potato wrap itself and they've been expanded globally and uh, as well and just like setting up factory after factory, an incredible team. And kind of interesting from a business model perspective because you asked as well, is that they do pursue a B2B as well as a B2C strategy at the same time. Because obviously so many individuals actually want to buy just compostable yep. cling wrap. But on the other side, you think about all those huge businesses like Woolies, et cetera, and they actually use so much of that stuff as well. Very exciting. I like hearing a lot of these climate changes mm-hmm. and disrupting spaces. Let's talk about how and what do you do to recognize what is a good business? Because I think in our listed space, we often ask the same questions, um, but I'm curious to hear from your lens. Mm. Yeah, we invest so early on, right? Like we invest in literally uh, companies when they're like two founders and often even before a product, right? So like it is so (laughs) different in the space that we're in. So actually the question itself of like good business, we don't necessarily like frame it or phrase it that way. For us, it's all about the kind of founder to customer fit. Like if the founder understands the problem of the customer, to the last little detail is so customer obsessed that they will literally not stop talking about the problem the customer had. That's what we're looking for. Because essentially what we look for is that they've got this connection. And then what you need to do at this early stages is almost trust the founder that because they have such a strong connection, they will stop at nothing to Mm. figure out how to solve it. And if you can solve it, there's money behind it. So the, the business model itself it's almost just a one of like the companies will go for three, four different changes. And we are aware of that because it is a long, long journey for them to go through. But because they are so customer obsessed, they will figure it out because it's so incredibly hard to build a startup at that stage. Absolutely. And a lot, lot riskier than when they come into our listed pipeline. <laughs> um, how do you see the balance in this time at the moment about free cash flow burn, but, you know, these businesses that you're investing in, you want them to be able to tap into these huge, stressful, growing market. How do you even balance that from an investor standpoint? Mm. So similar to the previous question, actually, like we do invest uh, early on, but mm-hmm. We never actually talk about profitability itself because at those early stages, you're still trying to prove out there's something there. So what the, maybe the question that we ask is always just a one of like so many of our founders tell us like, oh, I know it's a problem. I know it's a problem. But then the question for us actually becomes, how do you know it's a problem? And the only real answer where you will find out whether it's a real problem to a customer is, will they put the credit card down for like a $10 kind of like purchase or 10 grand purchase or whatever it is? Like, will they actually pay for it? So rather than the question of like almost like profitability, it actually becomes a question of like, are customers actually willing to put money on it? And that's when you actually truly understand of a founder landing on the customer segment that there's truly a lot of money behind it as well. Mm-hmm. And let's turn to the startup environment at the moment. What are you seeing around valuations at this point in time? Mm. Yeah, so it's, it's actually a really interesting time to be a founder. Like on the one side, there's never been a better time to actually found a startup. There's so many more tools, et cetera. But on the other side, you've definitely got a couple of 
headwinds there as well. On the one side, what we kind of have been seeing is that the funding environment has definitely slowed down, which makes it much harder for founders to actually raise rounds. So we have actually seen seen flat rounds happen, which just haven't happened over the last kind of couple of years. And so more so. On the other side, what's actually a little bit more challenging as well this year is actually hiring. So like counterintuitive to the narrative of kind of newspapers and stuff that we're seeing in the economic downturn, we actually do have like the lowest unemployment rate ever. So it's even harder to actually hire great people. So on the one side, you're like less money, but also lots harder to hire great people. So not actually the easiest time for sure. On the other side, people are also way less likely to leave the company just for another good opportunity. So actually what we have seen is that people are actually more determined and retention is higher and they are willing to, to almost like go the extra mile. Mm. And so are you seeing as a result of the backdrop, are you seeing some businesses perhaps not come to market or are you starting to see any startups not be able to fund themselves and fail? Mm. Pretty much at the same rate as always, to be honest. Like um, startup failure is completely normal and we see it all the time. The beauty of it is always that founders literally get hired by other founders. So maybe kind of like the trend that we have been seeing, which is actually a really good trend, is that the Australian kind of startup ecosystem now is so developed that you have those bigger companies where then if people leave or actually are let go as well, they actually end up starting their own companies, which is amazing because you actually see that second and third wave of startups actually literally spinning out of those large startups, which is actually a really promising sign of like a, a developed ecosystem itself. And that's uh, definitely something that we have seen where literally founders are starting companies being from Exatlassian or Excanva or, or all of those other kind of startups. And they don't even need to be large startups often where people just get inspired to like, all right, I can do this too. Yeah. And are you finding from your standpoint, startmates still investing at the same rate, at the same capacity, even though valuations in there, you know, money's not as cheap as it was. And, you know, some of those rounds are flat. What are you saying to your startups? Yeah. So startmate itself, we are still investing at the same rate. So um, we invest in roughly 20 to 30 companies every year. Because essentially what we do is always invest in like the top two to 3% of startups that we see. And we kind of pretty consistently see about a thousand companies a year. What do we say to our startups is that's why we actually have our investments. So it's $120,000 over previously $75,000 because living expenses actually have gone up in the, in the last kind of couple of years. On the other side, the best startups will still get funded. <laughs> that's probably like the message out there, which is like, hey, if you are doing an incredible job, if you are validating customers and it always comes back to customers, you will actually get funded. So what I always tell our founders, and I've been saying this for five years now, is fundraising is never your goal. Customers are always your goal. And if you focus on customers, you will be able to get funded. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to turn it over to you, Michael. Now, what's a bit about your background and what lessons do you feel like you've brought to this fund? Oh, so my background itself is um, I started all the way back in in like finance and American Express, started a bit of consulting because I love the kind of fast-paced environment of it. Eight years ago, I actually shifted to startups myself. So I joined the startup at the seed stage and the company has now IPO'd since. And as I joined another startup and we did like a series A and a series B round. And so that's kind of like my background. But for the past four or five years, I've been at Startmate. And honestly, like the biggest thing that I bring to the fund itself, because we've got actually two funds on the one side, we've got the accelerator fund. And so we raise it every six months. We see the thousand companies every year and it's the most exciting process because you literally like, get across a thousand companies, read all the applications, get to meet like 50 or hundred companies as well in person or 30 minute Zoom calls. And you literally like build up that muscle for yourself. What does good look like? And your standards actually keep changing and increasing. And after five years now, I've literally seen like talk to hundreds and hundreds of companies 
and calibrate it as well. And it's actually so humbling how often you get it wrong. <laughs> like, <laughs> like just whether like you just thought the company's going nowhere and it did incredibly well or just yeah. the other way around. But it happens all the time. And especially mm-hmm. in early stage investing, because you've got so little data information to go on. It is actually humbling, which is why actually at StartBit, we've got all of our mentors who are actually a part of the selection process. And it's not just myself making decisions. Mm-hmm. So what I actually bring to the fund, because we've got a second fund, which is actually the continuity fund. And the continuity fund is essentially the idea that out of the 30 companies that we invest in every year, the top, statistically speaking, 65% of them raise a million to $4 million round. And the continuity fund essentially invests in the top companies out of that. And the way I've actually set it up is exactly to that learning, which I just said, of just like, who am I to know what the best companies are? So we've actually, the way we've set it up is that it actually automatically deploys in the best companies. The fund itself does not make a decision. It literally like is an index fund. Around. Like every single time there's a prorata that gets triggered, we actually end up investing. Because, and this is kind of the learning, is the biggest risk in venture is to not invest in the standout company because the VC returns kind of skew towards that one company, which is like the 99% of returns, which is the continuity fund essentially captures them all. So by default, we'll be able to capture like the top companies of all of our investments for 12 years. Yeah, that's really interesting. Different way of what you're having to think versus us in the listed space. <laughs> now I'm going to ask more about Something I came across one of the other interviews that we did with Zala Systems, I saw that there's a women's fellowship program with Startmate, which I haven't seen across all the other funds as yet. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, how it works, and why it's something that's important? Oh, love it. So actually, back to the conversation which we just had, which is like I was saying that essentially hiring is becoming so hard. And like, that's exactly our realization of like, uh, our alumni end up raising lots of money. And what do you do with the money? Well, you hire great people. Hiring great people is literally the most important thing for your company. Your company is ultimately your people. And so essentially what we do is um, we said, how can we help our startups hire? So we actually went out there with a valid proposition of the fellowships. And we essentially get consultants and bankers, people from hospitality, retail, to apply for the fellowships to say, hey, we can help you explore the startup space. The startup space is just sort of a nebulous term that a lot of people know about it and what startups even are, etc. So we actually will help you explore it for like eight to nine weeks. So the Women Fellowship literally is this program for 100 women every six months to so 200 women a year. And we've got a student fellowship program as well for 500 students a year. And we've got a product fellowship and a customer success fellowship and a couple of other ones as well now, where we literally are helping you explore the entire startup space across Australia and New Zealand with the idea that if you like what you see, you either start a company yourself or you join one of the companies that you actually see. So we give you a real big cross-section across the startup ecosystem. And to your second question of like, why is it so important? It's because in the technology space, the industry itself is very, very male-heavy. And the first kind of angle that we took was the women fellowship, where it was so important to us to actually bring more diversity into the startup industry and that initiative in itself is making big waves because now um, we literally funnel 200 women every year into the startup industry, which makes actually a big, big difference. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm sure a lot of the guys want to hear a lot more. So if they are keen to learn more about Startmate, Michael, where can they go? Do you have any podcasts, any websites, any seminars or upcoming conferences that we can um, guide the guys to? Yeah, definitely. So um, best place is to jump on the website itself. So startbait.com. 
And we've got events which we run all the time. So sign up for the newsletter there as well. We've got our demo day, which comes up is literally in two days time. So it's probably going to be too late for this podcast. But we do run it every six months where you actually see the startups pitching. But we run many events and there's many places for you to go. You can hit me up directly as well on michael at startup.com.au. And that's probably like the two best places to go. Fantastic. Well, thank you again, Michael Patko, the CEO of Startmate. Been great to hear from you and I love the work that you're doing. I look forward to hearing and seeing more. Thanks so much for having me.